On this episode, I comment on Barry Morphew's recent media appearance. I make my disgust known for true crime publicity hounds. I go over the disappearance of Ilva Hagner. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including somebody thinking I was somebody. I'm at Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for May 22nd, 2023. What do you say, everybody? Let's have a live show. <laughs> this is Unfound Live for May 22nd, 2023. I hope everybody is doing well. It has been beautiful here in the Clearwater Beach area. Absolutely 100% beautiful. Since I saw you all last. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody uh, to give this live show a thumbs up. Please subscribe to this channel. Please share this video, this live show, this channel with anybody that you think might be interested in it. And if you'd like to go one step further... Please hit the join button below. That is a very easy way that you can monetarily support what we do here at Unfound. And uh, what else do I want to say? Other things to set up uh, for tonight. Uh, who do we have in here? I'll probably go back and uh, do this again in a little bit. But Charles, what's going on, Charles? Good to see you, nephew Charles. Karen, Valerie, The Real, from Australia, Mark, what's going on, Kathy, good to see you, Kathy, I hope you had a wonderful birthday yesterday, Kathy, and of course, it was nice of you on your birthday to show up in the uh, think tank last night, and also, uh, Kathy, of course, uh, I hope you're not having any problems commenting and doing everything. I know you were having that problem maybe last week. Hello, Jasmine, Sarah, Lisa, Katie, Patty3. What's going on? Patty3, are you new? I, um, it, you know, it's one of those weird things that uh, I tend to, you know, notice new names in the uh, chat. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but... Um, Patty three, welcome. If this maybe is your first unfound live, Kathy says I'm finally fitting. But oh, you're right, Kathy. I yes, of course. Um, yeah, you weren't feeling very good yesterday. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better today, Kathy. And pa Patty three says I've linked uh, for a lurked for a while. Okay, you're allowed to lurk, Patty. Lurking is permitted. Just haven't commented before. Well, that's uh, good to have you in the chat, Patty3. Good to see you. Thank you. And Barbara, what's going on? Good to see you. As uh, you probably already know, I in the title for the live show tonight, I have uh, a wonderful 
show lined up for all of you. A spectacular show going to combine a bunch of um, unfound stuff with a bunch of non-unfound stuff. Of course, that's what I usually do. And if any of you would like to ask me any questions as we're going through tonight regarding anything that is going on out there, true crime related or not, feel free. I'm always ready to do uh, answer questions. And uh, as you all know by now, most of you know, I don't mind going outside the realm of true crime. We might get into music or movies or other things as long as it's not politics and religion. I will answer it. And I see that the moderator of this live show is in here. Shree, what's going on with you? How are you? Hope you're doing uh, well. And Shree, if you will allow me to tell uh, everybody, uh, everybody should know that uh, one of Shree's daughters got engaged within, I think, about the last, what, last week or 10 days. So if everybody would like to send a congratulations to Shree, you can do that during the live show tonight and i'm very excited for you and your daughter shuri even though of course uh, i don't see myself ever getting married but i'm very excited for your daughter very happy for her shuri uh there's another way that you can as you're watching the live show tonight if you would uh think about it you can monetarily contribute through the super chat button which is down there at the bottom of the chat in that little uh, rectangle with a little uh, dollar sign in the middle. You can hit that and monetarily contribute. Maybe you want to get a, a question in, something like that, to make sure that uh, I don't miss it. You can do that during the live show tonight. Uh, where do I want to start this live show? Um you're very welcome, Shuri. I want to start a funny story. Uh, some of you know, I know many of you follow me on my personal page on Facebook where I really don't talk about unfound too much, but you still follow other things that are going on in my life. And I think by now, you know, I like to keep things very light. Uh, usually the posts that I have on my personal page um, – are based in some type of humor <laughs> of one type or another, sometimes PG rated and PG rated and sometimes not so PG rated. But I went to see the cult this past weekend on Saturday night uh, with my good buddy, uh, Dana. He, um, he is a fellow disc golfer, more like of a tournament director now more than player. And he and I are close to the same age. We have a similar interest uh, in, in music, going toward that uh, hard rock, heavy metal uh, genres. And if you will remember, he and I went to Orlando and saw Judas Priest together. And then we went and saw Iron Maiden. That's my, that was my third time seeing them back in October here in Tampa at the Amelie Arena where they play hockey. And then we went to see the cult on Saturday night right over here at what they call Ruth Eckerd Hall, which is more like a theater. I'm going to say it seats about, 
I don't know, a couple thousand people, something like that in there. Nice venue, really not a bad seat in the house at all. And that was my first time being there. My brother Brian and his wife have gone there several times to see all sorts of musicians. In fact, I think most recently they went to see Melissa Etheridge there. I also know that they went to see Cindy Lauper there at one time. And, and funny enough, the night before uh, the cult was there, Ed Sheeran uh, was playing there and he does not do a type of music that I would ever be interested in. But I know that of course he's very popular now and has been popular for a while and he was just at the Ruth Eckerd Hall the night before the cult were, or the cult was, however you look at that. And, uh, you know, I, I knew about the cult, uh, of course, late 1980s, early, early 1990s. Uh, but just within the last couple of years, I've started listening to them more for some reason. I listened to them a lot when I went to play at the Masters Disc Golf Tournament in Illinois last summer. And I said, you know, if they ever come around the Tampa area or whatever, I really would like to go see them because I really know a lot more of their music now than I did. And really, I knew a lot more music than I ever realized. When I started listening to them, I was like, oh, I know that song. Oh, I know that song. Oh, I know that song. Way I knew way more of their songs than I realized for whatever reason. I don't know. But... So they found out they were coming just a few weeks ago. I found out, got the tickets. Dana was not that big of a fan of them, really didn't know their music that well because yeah, I'll go. Sure. Great. And, um, and, and so we had a good time. We went, we went to eat at Hooters first, dare I say. And well, you should know the last time I was at Hooters, I was with my dad and it was his idea to go to Hooters. You want to uh, analyze that you can do so. We had a good time. But there is a funny story, a couple of weird stories. The weird story is that um, they played a lot of their you know, popular songs. They did She Sells Sanctuary, uh, Love Removal Machine, um, Here Comes the Rain, Rise. Uh, and then they did a couple songs that I didn't know as well. But they did – you know, some of their song, you know, popular songs, but strangely enough, they did not do Firewoman, which, you know, I see it once again, the kind of fan that I am, that it's like their most popular song uh, came out in about 1989. Just like as I was going into colleges when it came out, 89, 1990, you know, big uh, hit. That album, a uh, very popular album, was a platinum, you know, platinum seller. They did not do Firewoman. And they also did not do a, 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 a popular song from back at that time called, it kind of has one of the songs that's like, the song is called Edie, but in parentheses, it's Chow Baby. It's, uh, that is another one of their popular songs. They didn't do that song either. Kind of strange. Um, and I was, the, and you should know, I went once they, that happened. I checked their set list from like the 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 concerts before the one here in Clearwater. They're just not doing it. They're just not doing Firewoman or Edie. 
for whatever reason. I don't know. Very strange. And as I and as Dana and I were leaving, I was even saying to him, you know, them not doing Firewoman is like Def Leppard doing a concert, not doing Photograph, or Metallica not doing Master of Puppets, you know, or uh, you know, Bon Jovi not doing Living on a Prayer. It's it's kind of like that. But then I started thinking about it, and you should know, the first time I saw Iron Maiden, I went by myself down to Sunrise, Florida, and saw them early 2016. This would have been on the Book of Souls tour. Well, they did a bunch of songs from that new album, Book of Souls. That's what Iron Maiden does. And they didn't do some of their most popular songs during that concert. So... Can't say that the cult's decision is without precedent from like another band, but it was surprising. And you could tell that, and they did an encore. They did their concert, went off stage, came back on, did a couple songs. And then they did that again. And everybody thought, oh, this is like another encore. And people kind of like stuck around for a moment. Then the house lights came up, the stage lights came up and everyone's like, what just happened? <coughs> so, yeah, the, uh, the, the cult, Valerie. I went to see them. And so it was just weird. It was a fantastic show. Don't get me wrong. Um, you, know, um, you know, they've kind of, you know, compared to when they got started, you know, they kind of transformed into a little bit of a hair metal band. But, you know, these days they're, kind of just straight hard rock band they're heavy metal at all they're not progressive rock um you know you know to really listen to them they they have more of like a guns and roses feel or acdc feel than like uh you know like def leppard or um you know judas priest or something like that they're just really straight hard rock type type of band now and they are fantastic ian asbury his voice is still pretty pretty good and we have to remember he's like in his 60s now pretty pretty good billy duffy on guitar it was they're really tight very good they just didn't do firewoman and they didn't do Edie child baby who would have thunk it but i would go see them again and if you're a fan and they're coming to your area uh, even though they may not do Firewoman or some maybe some other songs that you like, I would still recommend going see them. It was very good. It was very good. See what's everybody's saying here. Um, uh, artists generally sound so much better in small venues like that. Yeah, Mark. Um, you know, of course you're a lot closer. I would say I was about I don't know seventy feet from the stage, something like that. Maybe a little closer than that. It was really good, uh, you know, and kind of up. It was a theater, of course, so the, the seats kind of rise up. It was good. Uh, Marty says, uh, Lori asks Ruth, Ruth Eckert, E-C-K-E-R-T, Ruth Eckert Hall. Uh, Ruth Eckert is the woman's name and then like Auditorium Hall, Auditorium. So it's named after Ruth Eckert is the woman's name. I don't know who she is. Uh, Marty says, I've always been a fan of the cult. What's going on, Veronica? Hooters. Yes, Veronica, we did go to Hooters. Um, no Firewoman. Yeah, Marty, like I said. Charles, I would have been a bit disappointed not hearing for Firewoman. 
I, I'm going to guess some people went away uh, thinking that, uh, Charlie, but, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a surprise. I, you know, I'm not disappointed. I'm just glad I got to see them. I'm glad that, um, you know, I've kind of gotten into them and it, and it was a good experience. And maybe they were, they're just thinking, well, you're not going to do it this time. Uh, kind of leave them wanting more for when we come around next time. I don't know. And they have a lot of great tunes, you know. Uh, but I, I should tell you, Firewoman's not even my favorite song by them. Rise is actually my favorite song by them, and that came out like in the two thousands, and that's the song they opened with, and that's personally my favorite song by them. Firewoman's a great song, but I also have to admit, maybe it's a little overplayed. Maybe uh, they also another song they didn't do. If you're uh, a cult fan. They didn't do the song Nirvana either, which is a fantastic song as well. They have a lot of great tunes. Um, but I, I would go see them again. Uh, Charlie, uh, Valerie, I'm multitasking. The Cult, there you go. Uh, yeah, I know of them. Maiden is notorious for doing that. Yeah, the Marty, uh, Iron Maiden plays the songs they want to play. Although, uh, I will tell you, the last couple times I've seen them, they've certainly played songs you know tailored to the audience they did like hell would be thy name ace is high run to the hills uh number of the beast and all of that but i will tell you that book of souls tour some of those songs they did not do you should know that and it was kind of like the same thing where the crowd was like waiting for some of those songs to be played and then i you know down there and the lights came up and the and the concert was over but the, the the second and third times that I've seen them, they did do those songs. And but everybody maybe should be prepared. They're going on another world tour to support Sinjutsu again. They're going to be playing some songs from their most recent album, but they're also going to be playing a lot of songs from somewhere in time. I love that album, but some of those other songs that people are really into from you know, maybe some of these other albums might not get played. Maybe songs that are more popular. But I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, the album Somewhere in Time. But they really have said they're going to concentrate uh, on that album. Going to take a lot of songs from that album for their next tour. And, and I'm excited about that because they haven't done some of those songs on tour in a very long time. Um, their sound aged well. Uh, the cult sound has aged well. That's a very interesting way to put it, Charlie. It has aged well. That even, you know, listening to their stuff from the 80s, it doesn't sound like the 80s. Um, unlike maybe like some other bands, you know, like maybe like Duran Duran or something. You listen to them, it's like, ah, that sounds very 80s. The cult's music is a little bit timeless. That's a really interesting way to put it. And Ian Asbury's voice is somewhat timeless too. And uh, I have to admit um, that uh, he was a, a different kind of front man than I was going to anticipate. You know, I've always had this idea of him. He's maybe a little strange or something like that, a little mysterious uh, and everything. But he was a great front man. Um, that night, uh, Saturday night, very talkative, very appreciative. 
Um, didn't say anything like weird or anything on stage. Really, really interacted with the audience, especially people down in the front rows and everything. I thought, I thought, he, I thought everybody just did spectacular. I thought it was great, even though they didn't play a couple songs I was expecting them to play. But it's their music; they can do what they want. Uh, Deborah, what's going on? Uh, you don't have to apologize, Deborah. Don't make fun of me. I seen Huey Lewis, and he didn't play any hits. Just his new jazz stuff at GVR, it was disappointing. Yeah, they kind of went that jazz direction, Huey Lewis in the news. Right, I, I've heard about that. I'm a Huey Lewis in the news fan, Valerie, and I, I think I would, you know, if they didn't do uh, I Want a New Drug and The Power of Love, yeah, you'd, you'd be, uh, you know, walking on a thin line, uh, happy to be stuck with you. Um, yeah, I would be disappointed for sure. There you go, Laura. Uh, Rockford, Ian Asbury is a very good song with Slash and Slash's help from 10 years ago or so. Always looking forward to Maiden on tour. They haven't slipped a bit. Maiden has not slipped. They are fantastic. These guys, I have to give it to them. Even Judas Priest, uh, when I saw them in 2021, you know, of course, like Rob Helford is a little older than those guys. He's like 70 now. And still has his voice. They might they might have tuned down the songs a step or something, but great. But you know, I, I just watch these guys and they take care of themselves and they're very fit and their voices are still good. And uh, you know, it, you know, of course, Iron Maiden doesn't use tracks. The cult surely did not lose use tracks. Judas Priest surely did not use tracks. Now, Kiss, on the other hand. Uh, as much as I love Kiss, you know, uh, there are those stories out there. Uh, fishing, hard to find you tonight. My phone has gone stupid. Love your show. Thank you, Fishing. I'm sorry you had trouble finding it. But I want to pass on a funny story, and then we'll get to the true crime stuff. So my buddy Dana and I were leaving. You know, everybody's just kind of milling about. I think the crowd was still a little stunned that, like, for the reasons I've already stated. And we're leaving. We're just walking through, you know, a bunch of people. And, you know, it's right here in Clearwater. And I guess you maybe suspect that you're going to run into somebody you know or or something. So we're leaving. And we're still still inside the, the venue. And there was a guy, like, standing with some people, like, up against the wall. And I'm just talking to Dana. And I could see this guy look at us. And he's st- and just a regular looking guy, just like with glasses on, didn't look like a hard rocker or you know anything like that. But had like he almost like had a suit on. I don't think he had a tie, but he had like a jacket, sports jacket on or something like that. And he steps to us and he goes, he said to both me and Dana, hey man, you guys, you guys really rocked tonight, man. You guys were awesome. You guys really rocked. And he like shook our hands and I'm, and I'm kind of going through my Rolodex of people I know here in Clearwater. I'm thinking, you know, is this guy, I I don't, you know, outside of disc golf, I don't know many people in this area and I'm rolling through the disc golf in my head. Is this a disc golf right now? I know. And I'm looking at Dana and and Dana's like, you know, shook his hand. Hey, what's up? Uh, You know, and we kept going. He goes, you guys, you guys really rocked. And I'm thinking, who does he think we are or something? 
So I'm thinking, oh, this must be some disc golfer. And so we, so Dane and I like say, hey, what's up? How you doing? Shook his hand and we kept walking. And I turned to Dana and I say, who was that guy? And Dana says, I have no idea. (laughs) We didn't know who he was, but he acted like he knew both of us. It was so weird. Now, maybe he was just drunk. Didn't seem like it, though. It seemed to me like. You know, he 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 really thought he maybe mistook us for somebody, but he really thought he knew us. You know, he wasn't doing it to be weird or or anything else. It did not have that vibe to it at all. And I was even thinking, is this maybe some fan of Unfound or seen me on this live show or something? And but he thought he knew Dana too, so I don't. No, it was really, really weird, really weird. And Dane and I had a really good laugh about it. So, um, I don't know. We, we got mistook, I don't know, for somebody, uh, some band or something. I mean, it, it couldn't have been that the guy mistook us for the opening band because the in- intro, the warm-up band, was an e, e, you know, electric dance music EDM group called Nightclub. And so it was this woman singing and a guy with like a computer on stage doing like EDM music. That was the opener. So we couldn't have mis- been mistook for them. So I don't know. I just have no idea what was going on. The guy was very friendly. And we were friendly too. Um but it was really funny when I turned to Dan, I was like, who is that guy? Cause Dana knows more people in this area, even than I do, given what he does and everything. He knows way more people than I do. And he didn't know who the guy was. So I don't know. It was just really funny. Uh, it's called purple micro dot. I don't, I it's called purple microdot. I don't know what that means, Deborah. Katie, it's your hair. He thinks you're a rock star. You know, Dana and I did have that conversation, Katie. It, it's funny. He and I did have that conversation. In fact, it came up um, because I know now. Here's what I can tell you. As a guy who had short hair for most of my life, um, you know what? I have to admit that when I had short hair, it felt like I was a little invisible. All right. Just because, uh, I'm a, just average height and everything. And I just look like your average white guy with, you know, when I have short hair, that is true. But I will tell you, now that I was, now that I've had this long hair for a while, I now notice there is that split second. Like when I go, like when I go grocery shopping, I notice that there's just that split second when I'm going through and I look at somebody, they just, there is that split second more of eye contact or something where you can see the person going, okay. You know, because long hair, of course, is very rare. And usually when you see somebody with long hair of a certain age, you start thinking, is this like some sort of 
musician or something like that. And there is that split second where I can tell people are kind of going through their Rolodexes and they're, is this, who is this? Is this somebody? And, and I'm not, I'm surely not imagining it because this is something that, that did not happen the rest of my life. It, it is just something. Um, Deborah says the guy was on acid. Maybe, uh, just like I said, just did not talk to him long enough, Deborah, to know. I, do, I, I really don't know what to say to that. Uh, just was standing there. He had a drink in his hand. He was with some other people. So as we were walking, he saw us coming and stepped out to greet us. I did not see him do that to anybody else. So I Rockford, at least he didn't say, Nick, Captain, love your show, Rockford. Don't get me started. You're trying to trigger me, Rockford. Uh, and Deborah's laughing. Okay, so that's my funny story. If you go to see the cult, uh, if you want to go see them, I would go see them. Just don't have high expectations for their entire song list. Kathy says, that's what I think. That guy thought you were some rocker. That guy may have been on something you never know. Yeah, yeah, maybe, Kathy. And as far as my uh, upcoming, I'm going to go see The Misfits and Megadeth in June. And I also got tickets to see Glenn Hughes and Ingve Malmsteen uh, in, what is it, September or October. And these are all groups or people I've never seen before. So I'm really looking forward to that. Katie, my early to mid seventies in the early mid seventies, my dad would constantly be asked for his autograph. He was a dead ringer for George Carlin. Uh, Katie, it's funny uh, that you say that because when my brother Brian was younger, uh, Charlie's other uncle, um, my brother Brian, before he got all white hair and everything, he looked like George Carlin too. So it's funny you say that, Katie. Do you, Char- Charlie, do you know that? Have you seen those pictures, Charlie, of Brian back like in the 70s uh, when he could have passed for George Carlin? Rockford, love the Misfits. I was fortunate enough to see the Sam Hain reunion. Yeah. Well, they're all uh, reunited again. I'm not that big Misfits guy, Rockford, but I do like Megadeth. And this, you know, this is an opportunity to see them, even though the Misfits are the headliner. Megadeth is opening for them, which to me doesn't make any sense. But there you go. Cherie says loves George Carlin. And Charlie says he he's seen that. Yes. So, Charlie, you know that my brother, Charlie's uncle, uh, at a time in his life, really, really also looked like George Carlin. It's really weird. All right. Let's move on. Let's um, – Let's move on to some true crime stuff, and I will start here with the Tony Schwark poll. Only a couple different ways I think uh, everybody could go with uh, Tony Schwark, Dennis Bagnall, and Bobby Majors' disappearance, disappearances. And so in the discussion group, I put the poll out. What do you think happened? Was this uh, an illegal smuggling trip with foul play was an illegal smuggling trip with no foul play or with an accident, or was it just a trip just really just to do something legal and an accident? And in the discussion group, the number one choice was that it was some sort of smuggling deal and there was foul play. Whereas in the think tank uh, yesterday evening, and if you'd like to be part of the think tank, Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And you should know now if you pay for a year up front, you get a discount 
hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But in the think tank last night, uh, a majority decided that it was some sort of accident is the reason that they went missing. However, there was a strong minority who also thinks that it was a smuggling deal uh, with foul play. And then for the blog that I wrote at patreon.com that I write there every week, 3,000 words at least, I decided that it was a smuggling operation, but that they, I kind of split the difference. I think it was some sort of smuggling thing, something illegal was going on, and that it was an accident. That is the 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 conclusion that I came to. Kind of, so I kind of, I guess, split the difference uh, between two, um, you know, major groups out there. The reason I decided that it's it's just that that it was something of an illegal nature, simply because if this was just some run of the mill thing that Bill wanted somebody to do, why did he have to get two guys from Michigan to do it? That's the thing that continued to uh, stick with me as I was thinking about this disappearance, uh, preparing for the episode, writing the episode, recording it, doing the interview uh, like I did. I just have a hard time reconciling why he needed two guys the whole even if he was from Michigan, to go there and, and do that. Did, was there nobody here in this state of Florida that he could have gotten to go do that and could have just done it? You know, fly over there, bring the boat boat back instead of the, getting these guys go down there, stay a couple of days, and everything else. It just seemed overtly complicated for a trip that was only supposed to be about a boat. That was that was my thinking. You think something different? Totally fine. Fairy magic, what's going on? What is going on with you? Good to see you, Katie. To me, the owner of the boat not filing an insurance claim points toward. Illegality, that could also point, that is also a very good point, Katie, for sure. So that is uh, the disappearance of Tony Schwartz, Dennis Bagnall, and uh, Bobby Majors. Now, you should know that if you go to NamUs, you or the Charlie Project, you're going to find a disappearance, although it's the only other one from the 1980s that is similar to theirs, uh, a guy named Gary Weaver... And Gyro Sanchez, who kind of disappeared under similar circumstances, but you can check those out for yourself. I've never spoken to anybody in their families, but when I was trying to make the point that there, you know, really aren't any other disappearances like Tony Dennis and Bobby's, this is the one that kind of com- comes the closest. But really, in my opinion except for them all allegedly disappearing in the Bahamas. Not much similarity. But you can check those out. Like I said, Gary Weaver, Gyro Sanchez, and their disappearances together happened in 1983, if you'd like to look them up. All right, let's move on to some news. Uh, Something that I wanted to – I'm going to start where I wanted to go last week. But I ran out of time, and that I want to talk about Barry Morphew. We all know who he is. He, um, of course, is alleged to have killed his wife, Suzanne Morphew, who went missing in Colorado a few years ago. And in fact, Barry was charged, but eventually those charges were dropped. 
And so I'm going to read this article. I'm going to continue to delve into this and give some of my analysis uh, because he appeared, uh, he went national with this. He was on what the Today Show or Good Morning America or one something like that. He was on there. He was interviewed. His daughters, their two daughters were with him. And it's pretty obvious that these daughters uh, fully support uh, their father in you know his claims that he had nothing to do with Suzanne's disappearance. So I'm going to read this article and do some commentary after. Barry Morphew, a Colorado man, Colorado man accused of killing his wife Suzanne in 2020 before charges against him were dropped in 2022, spoke out on Monday marking three years since Suzanne went missing. So I think when they say Monday, I think this is two weeks ago. It was the first time Barry, 55 years old, has spoken publicly since he filed a lawsuit seeking $15 million, you know, because $14 million isn't quite enough. From the 11th Judicial District Attorney and other prosecutors for allegedly violating his civil rights after they accused him of killing his wife and then subsequently dismissed the charges. It's very hurtful to lose your reputation and your integrity, Barry Morphew told ABC's Good Morning America in an interview with his daughters Mallory and Macy that aired Monday. We have heavy hearts today, Barry, Mallory, and Massey said, Macy said in a Sunday statement to Fox News Digital. We have missed our mom and wife, Suzanne, every single day for the last three years. We, are, we keep hoping that DA Stanley and law enforcement will use every resource to find her. Prosecutors initially alleged Barry murdered his wife after she decided to leave him, but later asked a judge to drop and dismiss the murder tra- charges without prejudice in April 22. They said they believe they were close to finding Suzanne's remains, though they have yet to be discovered. When asked whether he killed his wife, Barry told GMA, absolutely not. So this was Good Morning America. They've got tunnel vision, and they looked at one person, and they've got too much pride to say they're wrong and look somewhere else, he told the show. I don't have anything to worry about. I've done nothing wrong. Couple's two daughters said the last three years have been their worst nightmare. I've never had a shred of doubt, Macy said of her father, to which Mallory added, not one. Despite prosecutors' allegations that the Morphe's wretched relationship was tumultuous and coming to a possible end, Barry told GMA that they had a wonderful marriage. We had a wonderful life, a wonderful marriage. She was just so loving and giving and such a good mother, he said, adding that his wife was going through some hard things and made some bad decisions at the time of her disappearance, including trouble with the chemotherapy and the drugs. I, I have to admit, I know some of you have followed this a lot closer than I have. I did not realize that she had been had cancer or something. That's news to me. Now, Barry's attorneys say his constitutional rights were trampled upon after he was accused of murder. And he and his daughters have suffered great harm, as Jane Browson said in a statement earlier this month. Attorney Iris Eiton said the 55-year-old father suffered the indignity of being wrongfully arrested, jailed, and prosecuted for a crime he did not commit. We will not rest until those responsible for this miscarriage of justice are held accountable. Last month, Eiton filed a complaint against 11th Judicial District Attorney Linda Stanley and six other prosecutors for a pattern of ethical violations eviscerating, great word, public trust in the criminal legal system and dis- regarding the rights of Mr. Morphew and his daughters. Stanley told Fox 31 Denver in a statement, 
that the potential filing of a complaint against an attorney is not equivalent to the attorney engaging in any misconduct. And anyone can file a complaint against a lawyer with the Office of Attorney Regulation Council. Now, if you remember, Barry Morphew's alibi is that he was many hours, many miles away when this all happened. You might also remember, for those of you who maybe have not followed this closely, is that this happened on Mother's Day three years ago. So we just passed Mother's Day here in May of 2023. And she went missing and her bike was found down the road, kind of in a ditch. And of course, they've done all these searches and everybody, of course, looked at Barry and, you know, we were led to believe that his alibi is uh, questionable and there could be proof that he really was back in the area of his house and everything else. Now, of course, the popular theory, the way I understand it, and of course, um, you know, uh, my assistant, Sheree, who was, of course, the moderator in this live show, uh, you know, she and I have talked about this quite a bit, although Sheree has, I think, followed this all a little more closely than I have. But it does seem to me that the very most popular, most common theory is that Barry Morphew did it. And I'm not sure this is because necessarily the media. Um, as we know here on Unfound, that it makes all the sense in the world when a wife goes missing, that the husband needs uh, – you know, to be checked out. And I think that a lot of the disappearances that we've covered on Unfound, even though they still may be unsolved, that there are, there's always seems to be a lot of circumstantial evidence that the husband did it for whatever reason. And, and you know, for me, um, a lot of times I believe that these things are not planned. I could believe that a few were planned, like maybe Marion Hurley's disappearance, but several of these others, Angela Green, Marion Hurley, and other uh, – not Marion Hurley, uh, like Darla, um, Rosemary Rapp, for example, I'm more inclined to believe that those are crimes of passion, that, that there might have been some tension building in the relationship, and then something just breaks. Something just goes wrong one day, one night. And the guy had no plans to kill his wife, but that's what happened. And then uh, he does his best to cover it up. And as we know, uh, sometimes these cover-ups are really good, like the disappearances that we've covered on and found. And then we know several instances where men have tried to cover up the murders of their wives and didn't do such a good job. The women are found, the men admit to it, and they go to jail. And... And I have to say, my opinion on the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew, it, my perception is that a lot of the disappearances we've covered on Unfound, there's much more circumstantial evidence to think these guys caused their wives' disappearances than Barry Morphew caused his wife Suzanne's disappearance. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. But I think the big difference we have in a lot of the Unfound disappearances is that, you know, at least off the top of my head, none of these guys could successfully say or make even a decent argument that they were miles and miles, hours and hours away when their wives disappeared. And in fact, it's sometimes it's very much the opposite, where these guys will say, yeah, I was home. Yes, I saw her walk out the door. She got in a white truck, never to be seen again. 
like what uh, Marion Hurley's, of course, his story changed a couple times. He said she disappeared while they were out camping, but then he also said that, yeah, they were at this golf course that they were running or owned, and somebody came and picked her up, and she was never seen again. A lot of people were suspicious. Did he put her on that golf course, bearing her somewhere? If you haven't listened to that episode, you can go uh, check it out. But, you know, this is the world that I live in. I realize none of you, although you listen to Unfound every week, but the public, the general public does not live in that atmosphere that I live in where I can just start naming off wives who disappeared, you know, uh, anytime like me, like naming off iron maiden songs. This is just what I do. This is my work. And so I guess I just have a different perspective on it. That doesn't mean that Barry didn't do something to his wife. It's just that his story has a little bit better wings than I think most of the men who we, the husbands we've suspected on Unfound. That's just my opinion. Now, it doesn't help that Suzanne was having a relationship with another guy. She was cheating on her husband, Barry. What seems to be unclear, though, is how much Barry knew about this. Now, if he didn't know about it, then that I'm not sure what a motive would be. Of course, maybe that wouldn't have anything to do with it. But if she was cheating on him, then that might be a motive. Maybe. But on the other hand, we might look at it as if they were having a tumultuous relationship for whatever reason, well, if he files for divorce, he might win. Now, granted, it sounds like their daughters are kind of grown and everything. You have to remember, they're in their 50s. I think their daughters are maybe in their 20s, so I don't know if there's going to be any child support or anything that they would have to worry about, he would have to worry about. But in a divorce situation, if he could show that she was cheating on him, you know, of course, maybe he was cheating on her too. Maybe that's out there. But the popular theory is that he did it somehow. And here's what I also think I know is, you know, I know that given my experience with the Steve Pankey trial, that, you know, it seems that uh, some juries, and of course that was in Colorado too, coincidentally, some juries are willing to make that kind of logical leap that circumstantial evidence is enough. So when I think about them choosing not to go to trial, I think what it tells me is that even though they might have some contradictory information regarding Barry, maybe there's a way that his defense could have spun it in a direction to cause reasonable doubt. I also want to say regarding this article, it's always interesting to me when they say, well, we thought we were really on the verge of finding her body. I have no idea what that means. As a guy who has been doing this disappearances 24-7 for almost seven years, I have no idea what it means. We are on the verge of finding the body. Here's what I think I know. I think everybody that has ever been found uh, in relation to any disappearance that unfound is covered, you never thought that they, you know, law enforcement or, or anybody was on the verge of finding remains. And in fact, we know 
most of the time remains are found by accident, by people who have nothing to do with the disappearance, people who weren't even searching for the missing person, people who are not in law enforcement. So how can the, the, the prosecutor say or law enforcement, well, we're, we're on the verge of finding your body? It's just talk. It's just talk. And in fact, I'm inclined to believe the reason they do this is to make the suspect, in this case, Barry Morphew, nervous. I don't. I think that's BS. I don't think they were fi- on the verge of finding anything. How do I know? No, because Suzanne hasn't been found yet. That's how I know. And then we have those other situations like with Zoe Campos where Carlos Rodriguez – gets indicted, you know, for another crime, and then he kind of just spills his guts. Yep, she is in my backyard. Or with Dennis Bowman, you know, he gets charged with murdering that other woman, and they go onto his property, and there's Andrea buried in the ground under, under a concrete slab. None of those, none of these disappearances in which remains have found, even more recently with, like, Bowman, nobody thought that any of these people were on the verge of being found. That's just talk. Anytime you read that from now on, it's just talk. It's just marketing. That's all it is. Now, but that's the popular theory, Barry Kilder. What could be the alternate theory? Let's think about maybe some alternate theories. You know, um, it does sound to me like Suzanne was going through some stuff. She did have another man in her life. And on top of that, as this article said, she had some sort of cancer or something else. Could she have been having some mental issues? You know, uh, I've never had cancer, uh, but cancer does run in my family. My brother Brian had uh, cancer uh, like over 10 years ago and has recovered fantastically. My brother Brian at 70 years old looks fantastic, uh, doing great. But we all know that that can cause people to start questioning their existence, you know, and get depressed and, and everything else. So it's not crazy to think that maybe she just took this to the logical end. Now, why wasn't she found? Well, we could say that about any of these disappearances. We could say that about Jason Landry. You know, that we, we don't have these answers regarding why searches are not complete. So, I have it written here in my notes. Maybe Suzanne was going through something and she hated her husband so much that she wanted to make it look like he killed her. It's a little out there, a little on the fringe. But an alternate alternate theory is, could it be that some other guy murdered her and this has nothing to do with her husband, somebody who's not connected to her husband at all? And then I start going back to... Uh, a story from a couple years ago where a woman, um, not nowhere near Suzanne's age, but a younger woman, uh, adult age, but in her, maybe her in 20s, you know, she was out jogging or something, and some guy hit her with his car. You know, he knew her, hit her with his car anyway. Do you remember that story? I forget the woman's name. Maybe somebody can look that up for me. And... Um, could it be that she was out on her bike and just somebody came, drove along and, um, you know, did something to her, ran her off the road. These things happen. Of course, just within the last six months, um, we had, uh, 
this story about this woman who went jogging. She, you know, she went jogging every morning. And what happened? Some guy pulls up in a, in a minivan and forces her into it and kills her. These things happen. They are rare, but they do happen. So I get it. Barrymore view. A lot of perception is that he's a bad guy. People are suspicious of him. You know, he's in construction or something. Did he take her body and put her somewhere and bury her in the, in the, you know, in the, the, the basement of somewhere he was working on or something like that very well could have. <clears throat> but it seems to me that um, the prosecution eventually decided that this was pretty thin, you know, pretty, pretty thin um, regarding all of this. So I uh, haven't had anybody chat uh, a little bit. What is everybody thinking about this? We're even aware that uh, Barry Morphew had been uh, doing these interviews. And it seems on top of everything else uh, that his daughters support him. You know, they're appearing with him. And... You know, would they be doing that if they thought that their father killed their mother? And then we get into family dynamics and, um, you know, what kind of really, you know, then we have to start thinking about um, what kind of relationship did the daughters, I'm not saying the daughters were involved in everything, but what kind of relationships did they have with their mother? Were they closer to her father? And we might even have to be open to the idea, even if they think that he did it, maybe they think he's justified, you know, and uh, this is a topic that has come up between Sheree and me uh, in talking about this. Um, you know, if the daughters knew that their mother was cheating on their father, what kind of does that do that mentally, you know, you know, what does that do to them mentally? But this is not without precedent. Um, unfortunately I don't have it in my notes, but there was a woman, where was this? Did this happen, Sheree, in Texas? But this guy went, this father went to trial like four or five times for the disappearance of his wife. And, uh, you know, it was like a hung jury a couple times and then he was convicted and then there was a new trial and through all of it. His, his kids, their kids, uh, the kids stuck by the father, even though there were reasons to believe that he actually did kill their mother and she's still missing. Maybe somebody can look, uh, I forget it was this disappearance must've been, uh, you know, I think this happened back September 11th of two. It happened on nine 11. I think, I think. This the disappearance of this woman happened on September eleventh, two thousand one, and she was also a woman who had some other guys in her life, and her fa her the the husband came from like a bigwig family in the area. Maybe somebody can look that up and and can post the name there, but it reminds me of that of how. Their, their children have stuck stuck by their father through all of it, continually saying he'd had nothing to do with their mother's disappearance. And that is a disappearance that is still unsolved over 20 years later. In fact, I should put that on my list 
of uh, maybe disappearances that we could cover on Unfound because uh, um, now that it's on my mind. Sheree uh, says, no one has $15 million to put on the table. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe this is just a money, money, money grab, Sheree. Nurse says he did some very weird things the day she went missing, so I've heard, Nurse. Valerie, Nurse Ratchet, funny name he did do oh, things. Yeah, Nurse Ratchet from, of course, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Marty, that's tough to say. Maybe they don't want to believe he would do something like that, especially if that there's only one parent still living. MT, I think you're right. Michelle Harris is exactly right. If everybody wants to look up the disappearance of Michelle Harris – that is the disappearance that I'm talking about that happened on September 11th, 2001, in which her fa- which her husband was charged, all sorts of court stuff, multiple hung juries. He was convicted. As of now, over 20 years later, he's out. And he claims his innocent was never charged, uh, charged, but the charges were dropped or whatever else. But everybody wants to look up that disappearance. Michelle... Harris, thank you, MT. Well done. You get a gold star, uh, MT. So, uh, and I read that the other, the guy that Suzanne Morphew was seeing, he's been checked out. I guess they can't prove he was in the area or would have had any reason to cause her disappearance, although it should be known it's, I think he was married too. So maybe we need to start thinking, could his wife have something to do with Suzanne's disappearance. I think what I would like to know more about, see, this is, you know, this is a disappearance that uh, eventually makes it to unfound. One of the things that I would like to know is really get into the, the details of how often Suzanne Morphew went out with her bike. How often should she go out? Where did she go? How long was it the same time every day? This is something that I would need to know more about to have a better grasp on and like to hear it from somebody who actually really, really knows um, to get a better handle on this disappearance. Uh, I think that that is what would be needed uh, for this. Uh, Sydney Sutherland was the jogger that was hit by a truck. Yes, Sydney Sutherland was out there running. Some guy... Some young guy down the street. I don't know if he was infatuated with her or something. He hit her, took her, killed her. Rare. But when you have a country of over 300 million people, even if it's rare, means it still happens often. Uh, Calvin Harris. Yeah, Lori. Um, Shari Shree says, Suzanne was on her phone at home at 2.30. Barry's truck pulled into their driveway at 2.40, well, you know, all I can tell you, Cherie, if things are that clear, then you don't think they would have dropped the charges. You know, once as, you know, given my, by the way, I did a spectacular par- spectacular parting of my hair tonight, by the way. That is pretty straight right down the middle. Nicely done, Ed. Um, if, you know, if that's the situation, Cherie, then it seems to me they would have more against Barry Morphew than they had against Steve Pankey. Right. I mean, that's what I, I can tell you right now from the day from now to the day I die, it's all everything's always going to be compared to the trial of Steve Pankey being that I was involved in it and what I saw there and how I was surprised uh, by the results and everything. 
that is what I'm always going to compare everything to. And I think that they have more against Barry Morphy than they did against Steve Pankey. Steve Pankey went to jail. Barry Morphy, the charges got dropped. It is a weird world in which we live. So um, I, I don't know what to tell you, Shree. It seems to me if it was that clear, then you know charges uh, wouldn't have been dropped. Uh, you know, and they keep saying these things were on the verge of finding her and everything else. It just seems like this is like much ado about nothing going on in all of this. Church says, good luck with that lawsuit, Barry. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wonder how they came up with the, the figure of 15 million. Like I said, what 14 million wasn't enough. If it's 15 million, why not just make it 20 or 30 or 50 or a hundred? Yeah. How do you scientifically come up with the amount of 15 million? So that is the continuing disappearance of Suzanne Morphew, Barry Morphew out there making these appearances, really laying it on the line that he had nothing to do with his wife's disappearance, wanting to get money from the government and, and everything else. Um, if he did it, he sure is brash. Uh, coffee. Hi, Ed. It depends on the prosecutors. It certainly does. It certainly does, Coffee. Uh, all I would say to that, it, it does seem to me that Barry Morphew is an easy guy to dislike. Uh, I don't think through all of this, whether you think he's guilty or not, he makes a very uh, sympathetic, quote-unquote, victim in all of this. So you think that would help the prosecution... Uh, give them a, a little more of um, uh, courage to do something, but I guess not. So those are my comments on it. I can certainly understand why a lot of people think that Barry Morphew did it, but just a few circumstances for of other disappearances or, or murders in which you know women were just attacked out of nowhere out there. And the men in their lives have nothing to do with it. So there you go. All right, moving on. I want to go up and talk. Where do I want to go next? I meant to get to this last week. I want to talk about the disappearance of Ilva Hagner. Uh, let's see. Uh, Corey Richards just wrote a grief book and is now charged with murder on suing for $50 million after an almost wrongful conviction Helps boost his innocence claim, I guess. Okay. Thank you, Sheree. I want to talk about the disappearance of Ilva Hagner. Um, her name is Y-L-V-A, last name H-A-G-N-E-R. She is on the Charlie Project, and she is on NamUs. But this is a disappearance that happened in 1996, but uh, there's been renewed interest in it. And I want to talk about that. Hagner was employed as a sought. I'm going to read from the Charlie Project, uh, the page there, and then I will read the recent news. Hagner was employed as a software marketing manager at a so small company called Ixo Software in 1996. The business was located in an office building at 6th Avenue in Belmont, California at the time, 50 yards down the hall from the Belmont Police Department. It has since changed locations. Hagner was last seen at her office at approximately 9.30 p.m. on October 14, 1996. 
by an executive who headed out for home, leaving her alone there. She's been never heard from again. Her black 92 Honda Civic with a Californian license plate number 2BBS966 was discovered abandoned on October 17th, 1996, three days after her initial disappears. She initially disappeared. The vehicle had been parked south of the Belmont-San Carlos border in California on the corner of El Camino Real and Spring Street in front of the Days Inn Motel. This location is a mile and a half away from her office. The car was unlocked and the keys were still in the ignition. There were no signs of Hagner at the scene and her purse was also missing. A photo of her car is posted with the case summary. No signs of forced entry were found at the office and there were also no blood or evidence of a struggle there or at her car. Hagner usually turned off her computer and straightened up the items on her desk when she left. However, on the night of her disappearance, her computer was left on and papers were strewn across her desktop. Hagner was a resident of Palo Alto, California in 1996. She was studying for a master's degree in liberal arts at Stanford. Her loved ones describe her as outgoing, cultured, and bohemian, but responsible. She is well-traveled and enjoys the outdoors. Hagner's family and friends have stated that it is uncharacteristic of her to disappear in such a manner voluntarily. They stated that she was being harassed and stalked by a male acquaintance prior to her disappearance, and also that he failed a lie detector test about her case. Hagner's parents and brother lived in Sweden at the time she disappeared. Her father has since died. She had no relatives in California at the time she went missing. She is a Swedish national and had been living in the United States for about 12 years prior to her disappearance. She was a legal resident, legal resident of the U.S., though. Authorities believe Hagner was abducted by someone she knew and trusted, such as a family member or friend. Her case remains unsolved. All right, so that is the entry at the Charlie Project. Well, just within the last month, like I said, I was going to talk about this last week. Ran out of time. <clears throat> this is recent news here of May of 2023. FBI crime scene investigators and local law enforcement searched the backyard of a Red Seed, Redwood City home for evidence connection to the 96th disappearance of a Palo Alto woman on Wednesday, May 10th. The Belmont Police Department and other local agencies closed off Solstaff Park to the public in addition to the home on 3700 block of Farm Hill Boulevard. It's unclear how the park and the home are connected. Ilva Hagner went missing on Monday, October 14th, 96, and reported missing to the Palo Alto police two days later by friends. Hagner was 40 year old, 42 years old at the time of her disappearance. According to multiple missing persons reports, Hagner lived in Palo Alto and attended Stanford. Uh, and according to her family, Hagner had been stalked by a male acquaintance before her disappearance. She worked as a business marketing manager for a German-American software company called Ixos. Shortly after 10 a.m. on Wednesday, so this is like two weeks ago, crime scene investigators could be seen bringing out multiple shovels and tools into the backyard of the Farm Hill home. The FBI told this news organization it is providing forensic support with its evidence response team. According to county records, Thomas Pressburger owns the deed to the Farm Hill property, property where investigators were digging. According to the IEEE database and the NASA website, Pressburger works in the robust software engineering area at NASA. According to uh, an article from 1997, Pressburger was Hagner's boyfriend at the time of her disappearance. Police have not named Pressburger as a suspect in the case. Farm Hill, 
Farm Hill Neighborhood Association President Joanna Rasmussen said the people who have lived in the home had lived there since Hagner's disappearance and are not active members of the association. Stolsaf Park, also cordoned off by authorities, is one of the most popular parks in the neighborhood and frequently hosts events, including an Easter egg hunt, where children search the park grounds. Multiple agencies, including the San Mateo County District Attorney's Office and the San Mateo County Sheriff's Department, are assisting the investigation. The Redwood City Police Department is providing traffic assistance. It is unclear what sparked the renewed interest into Hagner's case. Uh, I did what I could. So she disappears in 1996. This work is doing in two, uh, being done in 2023. I did not find any information. That anything close to this has been done in the last 27 years. But as it says in this article, it is unclear what has motivated all of this. But I will tell you, watching some video, I mean, they really did a number on this guy's yard. He had like this, like off to one side of his house, there was like a patio or sidewalk or something that wasn't, it wasn't concrete. It was like those bricks. They pulled up all those bricks. There must have been at least a hundred of them. They took them up one by one. They had like, like a helicopter over video showing somebody on their knees, you know, like, I don't know, it was like FBI or something on a jacket or something, digging every one of those up. Well, given that I did take uh, a week to get to this, I, like I said, I wanted to cover this last uh, Monday, but did not get to it. You should know that they found nothing. You know, they didn't find anything. Uh in any digging. Now, maybe they went through the house and might've found something and that's off the record. But as far as digging in this yard, going to that park, uh, it has now come out that they did not find anything related to Ilva's uh, disappearance. Now you should know for me in knowing, given that they published this guy's name, uh, last name Pressburger, um, first name Thomas, I did look him up, no criminal record. But that shouldn't surprise us, as I was just, you know, and just talking about Suzanne Morphew's um, disappearance. Uh, we know in many of these situations where men kill women, men, you know, in relationships with women, a lot of these guys don't have any criminal records. Um, you know, for uh, you know, Angela Green's husband didn't. Mary Hurley's, Marion Hurley's, at least I don't remember his, her husband didn't, but it seems if we're to believe it, that they caused the disappearance of their wives anyway. But with Thomas Pressburger, I could not find any trouble that he has gotten into over the years. In addition, it doesn't sound like he's been connected to any other women's disappearances either. Now, of course, it is noteworthy that um, she said that she was being stalked by somebody at her work. Now, what's weird to me, though, is that at least in this article that was written, and as you can imagine, there are many articles written about this recent search, these recent searches and everything. Um, if this guy uh, was her boyfriend at the time of her disappearance, is he also then the person who the guy who is considered to be stalking her? That is unclear to me. It, it would make sense. I guess it doesn't make sense that 
he's her boyfriend, but he's stalking her. I guess it's possible. It sounds a little rare to me, but um, so that's something that sticks out to me. It's just to me, not clear if we're talking about two different guys or just one guy. In addition, um, what catches my attention just from a facts point of view is this whole situation that she usually shut off her computer. Her work area was usually very neat. But then on the night of her disappearance, the computer's still on and her workplace is very messy. So, and then her car, which was, I guess, usually parked at the office where she was, was parked down the street. You know, I got to tell you, it's hard for me to imagine that somebody actually attacked her inside the office building. You know, because, you know, we're talking 1996. It's a software company, which usually are a little more in the cutting age of technology. And, you know, when it comes to security and everything, you would think that they would have video cameras or something. But it seems, and I looked for it. No information out there about any video evidence or anything regarding her disappearance. For example, a video of her showing her like walking away from the building. I didn't see anything like that. And just from a, uh, you know, uh, you know, logical point of view, it's, it's hard for me to imagine some guy, you know, attacking her within her office and then choosing to take her down to her car. That seems a little, um, that's an odd choice. That seems to be more complicated. And I understand from a forensics point of view, but, you know, I don't, I don't really know if, you know, you're carrying a, a woman or forcing a woman down to maybe a parking garage or something anyway. At that point, does it really matter what car you go in? I don't know. Um, I guess what I'm saying here is that although it seems like this could have been some stalking incident by somebody she worked with, on the other hand, given the way it sounds, giving her workspace, you know, did she go for a walk or something? Did she need a breath of fresh air? Was she a smoker or something? Did she go out to catch a smoke and something happened outside? <coughs> I am uh, open to that as trying to create, you know, knowing what we know about the facts, how do we, you know, put those facts together into a scenario, a theory that makes sense? And if we were to believe if she is dead and this was foul play, then what was the logic behind leaving, you know, taking her car, but then parking it like a mile and a half away? You know, if if the car was used to take her body somewhere and dump it, why didn't the person just bring the car right back to where it was parked in the first place? That would have been really confusing. Whereas leaving it down the street... you know, um, makes it kind of, I guess, more obvious that foul play was involved. Whereas if this person would have brought her car right back to where it was parked, and I doubt it was parked originally a mile and a half away. That sounds like a long way to 
walk to work, park there and walk a mile and a half to work. Um, there's just some things about this uh, that seem odd to me. And I, I have to admit, are we sure that this was foul play at all? <coughs> you know, we hear about this stalking and it, it's, it's it's hard for me to understand um, at least everything that's been written. What would the motive have been for Thomas to kill her and and do it at her workplace? Why why couldn't he just do it where she lived? These are, so if you want to know how I look at disappearances and how I even read, of course they do that for Unfound now anyway uh, as well. But if you want to see how my mind works. When I read stories like this, especially when it's disappearances that are really old like this one is, and then there's renewed interest in it, these are all the things that go uh, through my head. So, like, let me read some of these things. Uh, Coffee says, I do not think Panky is guilty. That's fine. Uh, That's totally fine. Coffee, everything. Yeah, he's not a murderer, just a little disturbed. What is the heart on the right side of my chat? Uh, that's if you just want to like everything that's going on here tonight, Deborah. Uh, Muted says Chris Watt also had no record. And coincidentally, that's another Colorado uh, murder case. And Muted, I don't know if you knew this, but the same prosecutor that put Steve Pankey away uh, put Chris Watts away. It's the same area of Cal- of Colorado. Uh, Sheree Deborah, it's so you can give extra. Thank you, Sheree Rockford. Shades of who's in truth. We have the friend and then the stalker, but unluckily, unlikely they're the same. That's a very good comparison, Rockford. Uh, maybe the only big difference is that with Jody's, there were signs of an attack or something, but the, you know, there's no signs of that here. And Rockford, I am inclined to believe to believe you that uh, with Jody's, that they're certainly whoever caused her disappearance and uh, John Van Sice. I think are two different people. I think that may, I continue to say that makes the most sense. And it very well could be for this too. We have Thomas Pressburger who seemingly was the man in her life, but there might've been some other guy who was jealous and that could have been the person who was stalking her, but it doesn't seem that uh, at least as far as public records go, public news goes, that they're looking anywhere else than at the boyfriend's place. So that maybe that's a little hard to understand. Um, wonder if the building had security guards. That's another interesting point. Muted. Good one. Marty, if she's a smoker, that makes sense. Maybe just an amateur. Well, uh, you're probably right about that, Marty. Um, you know, I just, as you know, I come to all of these disappearances like this thinking, well, if it was foul play, that these people want to get away with their crimes. They're going to do things. They're going to say things that they think um, help them get away with it so they never have to go to jail. And so when I look at this, does leaving the car a mile and a half down the road on its face – make it more likely that somebody is going to get away with the murder of Villa Hagner. It doesn't seem so, but we're not, you know, the, the problem is we don't know who this person was. 
if even foul play occurred, there's really no proof that foul play occurred in her disappearance. Let's just be honest. There is no attack like what was like with Rockford bringing up Jody Husentrout. There was nothing like this. All we have is a workspace. It was a little cluttered and a, a computer was stolen. That's really no proof of anything. She, For all we know, she could have gotten sick. You know, and was outside throwing up and then somebody came along and attacked her or something. It had nothing to do with her workspace or anything else. So, uh, it's just... Uh, I just don't know how this all popped up. Maybe, no, maybe somebody just, uh, somebody in that area, some investigator just got a bug up his or her butt. Maybe there's some political pressure. Uh, maybe uh, it sounds like her parents maybe are deceased at this time, but maybe a brother or sister of hers is kind of, you know, really getting on the police and they decided they were, you know, finally going to do something. Maybe they got some tip that really, really, really sounded believable. We just don't know. Uh, you know, it very well could just be that somebody dislikes Thomas Pressburger. Uh, you know, maybe Thomas Pressburger got a job that this person wanted. This person knew that Thomas Pressburger uh, was the boyfriend of Ilva Hagner, decides to get him in trouble by calling something and saying, hey, I know something about him. You know, my guess is this kind of stuff happens more than we realize. You know, it has nothing to do with a disappearance. Just has everything to do with people being bitter at possible suspects for imagined slights and things like that. So we might be even open to that. And uh, unfortunately, we know how too many times police take some of these tips maybe a little too seriously more than they should. Uh, muted the cops must have had some sort of compelling evidence that we are unaware of in order to tear tear this guy's yard up 30 years later muted you would think you would think for them to go all and do to go and do all of that um but my experience is that maybe it doesn't take as much as we think all maybe it takes these days and the problem, of course, with the problem, quote unquote, with the internet is that somebody can read up on Elva's disappearance and then call something in and really, really, really sound believable. You know, you put enough of these facts that are out there on the internet for any of these disappearances, and you could probably craft up, craft up some fake story and call into some tip line and really, really, really sound believable when you're doing nothing but talking out your butt. Uh, Rockford, this seems like one of those cases where there's a lot more in the police file than we've been given as the general public. Well, maybe Rockford, but like I said, I could not find any information that they ever did anything like this since Ilva went missing. I, I don't think back in 1996 that they went and dug up Thomas's uh, yard back then or if you lived there or wherever uh, or dug up that park or anything else. So I don't know. My best guess is that there was something that was called in that sounded believable and they thought that they had to act on it. And the problem is a lot of people can sound really knowledgeable today and they don't know what they're talking about. They're just sitting around home bored and then decide to call a tip line. So there you go. Nothing found. Uh, Ilva Hagner, uh, 
once again, this might be a disappearance just like Sora, Susan, Morpheus, where uh, we might get to it on, on the found. Um, and maybe some of these things in a good interview, some of these things will all get ironed out. In fact, maybe I should uh, pass this along to my assistant, Emily, if she wants to try to reach out to Ilva's family. However, my impression is they're all still in Sweden. She's the only one who is here. Of course, I interviewed a person from New Zealand, so maybe that's not that big of a deal. Um, but I'm not sure if Ilva has a Facebook page or anything. I would admit that I had not heard of her disappearance until I saw this news. So Ilva Hagner, maybe you want to look that up. Y-L-V-A is her first name. Hagner, H-A-G-N-E-R is her last name. Rockford says, agreed that it could be as simple as recent credible tip, but then we have the Kristen Smart case where the cops were on it for a while, if I recall correctly. Yeah, always possible that they're doing things behind the scenes. And, you know, what is hard to do behind the scenes is going and digging up somebody's yard. (laughs) It's hard to do that without getting a lot of attention. So you may be right. Okay, so Ilva Hagner, I I don't know if you've heard about her disappearance before or not, uh, but there you go. All right, now the next story is a follow-up to a story uh, that I covered a couple weeks ago, and it turned out, of course, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to tell all of you how right I was. So, Grove, Oklahoma. Authorities thought the disintegrated and rusted out remains of a 55-gallon drum found at the bottom of a northeast Oklahoma lake last month might be might hold clues to the disappearance of a woman missing since 1998. But after an examination of the barrel and the area surrounding it, Delaware County Sheriff James Beck confirmed they have not discovered any remains or artifacts that indicate a crime. Peggy A. Sweeten was last seen on January 13, 1998. The 52-year-old former special education teacher and grandmother disappeared from her Grand Lake residence without a trace, leaving her car, clothing, photos, and personal mementos behind. Peggy's husband, James Sweeten, is considered a person of interest in her disappearance and presumed death. In April, state and local authorities located a 55-gallon drum in a cove Near Sweeten's former Grand Lake residence, investigators and divers began to pull the drum from the murky waters of Grand Lake, where they suspected the remains of Peggy Sweeten lay in a watery grave. Her son Patrick has told investigator had told investigators in 1998 he noticed the 55-gallon drum on her, his parents' property was suddenly missing. 25 years later, cold case detectives had hoped the recently discovered barrel might be the same one and hold key evidence. When first located, the barrel was standing upright, partially submerged in the cove. Beck still questioned the position of the barrel. Something had to weigh it down for it to be upright all these years. What probably has happened is whatever was weighted down has been washed away. In the end, the barrel provided no new clues to Peggy's disappearance. Her son believes his father may have the answers to what happened. Patrick Sweeten told investigators he learned his mother was missing in March 1998 and it had to force his father to file a missing persons report in June. 
1998, Jim Sweeten told authorities his wife left with a man she had met online. The warrant stated, however, her son told investigators Peggy Sweeten did not use email and never had an email address. Jim Sweeten has not been arrested or charged. Several messages left for Jim Sweeten were not returned. And I think remembering from the original article from a few weeks ago, uh, when this first came up, uh, I think there was proof that Jim might have been cheating on Peggy with another woman, and he ended up marrying that woman, and it is the woman that he is married to to this day. Now, if you were watching that live show from maybe two or three weeks ago, when I read the first article that, hey, this barrel was found, and they're going to go down there, and I had my doubts. And the reason I had my doubts is, first of all, if they really, 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 really thought there was somebody in that barrel, they wouldn't take a month to pull it out of there. All right, we, we've been through this. Uh, just recently with Robert Helfrey, although it's not a disappearance that was covered on and found, but it's local to me in Clearwater. He was missing for several years. He was found in his car. As soon as his car was found, it was pulled out of the water. We know this with Esther Westenbarger. When she was found in her car, her car was found pulled right out of the water. And as I made the statement back then, why is it they find a barrel, <coughs> which is surely easier to take out of the water than a car, <coughs> and it takes all this time to figure out how they're going to do this and what – that they were not in a hurry to do this told me something. That was the first key to me. And it should be the key to all of you. Of course, all of you know, especially with the advent of Adventures with Purpose and Chaos Divers and all these YouTube channels, we know there's not much hesitation. If they go out, they find a car, whether they think there's somebody in it or not, and they think it's connected to a missing person's case, they call the police, they show up, and within it. <laughs> <clears throat> within, what, 24 hours, 48 hours, 36 hours, that car is getting pulled out. A car, 3,000 pounds, 4,000 pounds, getting pulled out. A barrel, they just left sitting there for all this time. It's weird. The other thing that made me suspicious about this is we don't really think that Jim Sweeten killed his wife, put her in a barrel, and just dumped her off into the lake right where they live, do we? And just leaves it there to possibly be found by someone else after he sells the property. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, what about, you know, what about the burial of Carlos Rodriguez? What about the burial of Andrea Bowman? To me, burials are different. Because in those cases, you know, unfortunately, Andrea and Zoe, they were hit. <coughs> they were hit. Got a little... <clears throat> still finding a little bit of a cough from being sick from like a week ago. And I think it's part allergies too, but it just didn't make any sense to me that you, you kill your wife and then you're just going to leave her in this barrel. That's right there in the lake for somebody to find. Whereas if you bury her and you do put a new patio on top of her or something else, To me, the way I look at it, that's a much better way. I'm not, you know, this is the way I have to think doing what I do. That's a much better and e maybe not easier, but better way to cover up a crime than putting a woman in a barrel.
and just leaving her in the water and just crossing your fingers that that nobody's going to choose to go scuba diving or something out there sometime. So I had my doubts and I ended up being right. It just didn't feel like this was real. Uh, it just felt to me there it was a little too simple, a little too much hoping going on. And given the hesitation of all <coughs> of all of this, um, it just didn't seem real. Um, but so what it means is Peggy is still missing. Now, I'm certainly willing to believe that Jim did something to her. I think I would want to know uh, a lot more than the facts that are out there on the Charlie Project and elsewhere. But I can certainly believe that that Jim did something to her. I agree with her son in thinking that, um, that, that at her age, dare I say that she met somebody online and took off with this person in 1998 seems really, really, really improbable to me. But given that it seems this was Jim Sweeten's story, It does cause me to pause just a moment. It, you know, given that the internet, I think for the ma- for the masses, was only a few years old, and given that at the time of her disappearance, um, does it say how old she was? She was fifty-two, so he had to be fifty-two. So, you know, you're in your, you know, you're fifty years old. The internet is becoming a thing. And we all know that younger people, you know, catch on to electronic fads and technology a lot easier than older people do. And given that I am like that age now, you know, even I feel that way at least a little bit. Um, To think that a 52-year-old man would come up with the idea that she met somebody online and ran off with it would then mean that this guy knew that these things happen already with the internet, even though the internet was only a couple years old, which is a little surprising to me. It's a little surprising that a 50 some year old would come up with that reasoning for his wife when the internet had just come out a couple years before that. So, and this would have been of course, before any social media, and uh, before, even before MySpace, and I think it was even before Match.com got started. You know, I, I realized that uh, computer dating has been a, a, around a while, even before the internet got started. But really, what are we talking about here? So I'm just not sure what to think with Peggy's disappearance. But I'm perfectly willing to believe that Jim did something. Um, Cherie, I don't think Barry is doing things to look for his wife. The message I got from GMA, Good Morning America, was how he was wronged, not where is his wife, just my opinion. All right, so going back to Barry Morphew, that, you know, all he wanted to do about how he is, you know, I guess what Cherie is saying is all he wants to now do is talk about how he is the victim. And there was no talk about what he's actually doing to find his wife. And I guess maybe the thing we most think of something like this is O.J. Simpson. He's found not guilty. And it's what does he say as soon as he's, well, I'm going to now find the real killer. I really don't think he's put one second into that since the mid-90s. 
and I think we all know why. So maybe there is something like that going on, Cherie. Hey, uh, Stitching, uh, what's, I'm Taylor from, what's going on? You're always changing your name, Stitching. I really never know what name you're going to f- show up with uh, in this chat, but it's good to see you. Uh, haven't seen you for a while. What's going on? You're always changing your name. I don't know why that is. So that is Peggy Sweeten. Let me go to now some unfound stuff, and then I just want to uh, cover one more non-unfound topic, and we got about 25 minutes left. Uh, The the next episode of Found is going to be coming out, going to be working on it in the next couple days. This will be for Patreon people and for YouTube supporters, so the only way you get to see it is if you hit the join button below. And I'm going to be um, analyzing, discussing the disappearance of J.C. Dugard. Uh, last month was Elizabeth Smart. And J.C. Dugard, of course, is like Elizabeth, but even more extreme. She was missing for much longer. And she actually, to the point where she had a couple children, by her kidnapper, by her abductor, by her abuser, while she was missing. And then, of course... Um, she was, uh, eventually discovered. So I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be analyzing the disappearance itself, the day of her disappearance. I'm going to take a look at everything that happened while she was missing. Some of the stories that were written about JC while she was missing kind of what people were thinking and what people were doing, both her family, law enforcement, whoever trying to find her. And then I will also be looking at how she was found and really could this have been done any earlier? What was the reason that J.C. Dugard was missing for so long? So that will be the next one. And I urge you, this sounds like something that's interesting to you. You want to support this channel and also get something at the same time. Go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And sign up at least at the $5 a month level. You get a a lot of other things with that. Or sign up right here on YouTube and it will be an unlisted video that you will get the link to it. Uh, Of course, the first one I did back in March was Brandon Lawson. Last month, Elizabeth Smart. And what will be coming out within the next couple days will be the disappearance and discovery of J.C. Dugard. So well, I changed my first name because I don't want any of these crazy true crime YouTubers to find me. So I used, well, you know, I use my real name, D. I use my real name and I seem to deal with it just fine. Okay. Uh, Twinkle uh, says, yeah, where you been tonight, Twinkle? Where you been? Missed you here in the chat here, Twinkle. Coffee says, yes, uh, you have the book. Um, yes, you've told me that, Coffee. Yes. I know that, and I knew that she did have a book out. JC has a book out. Moving on, I uh, thought you'd all want to know that coming this fall, uh, Dr. Telesco and I have um, said we're going to do three shows in the fall September, October, November. And for at least one of those, it will be done by me driving down to Nova Southeastern University. Uh, where I will get to speak uh, to at least one of her classes. You know how much I like doing that, and that's something that I have to get on here, start reaching out to some professors so I can do some speaking engagements. Come the fall, 
And we've already uh, picked out the disappearances uh, that we'll be covering. So there's going to be three shows, but only on two of them are we going to cover disappearances. The one in which I will be down there, whatever month that's going to be, um, we're going to once again do kind of a QA, and a um, just talking about disappearances in general, where she and I will be on the camera together and maybe taking questions from some of our students or something like that. So that is all lined up for this fall, September, October, November. And my understanding is that they're going to kind of be rebranding that YouTube channel. And it's going to be, I think, Dr. Telesco's channel alone or something. There's something going on there. There's going to be a change. So be looking for that as well. Uh, I'll tell you later. Okay, D. Uh, yes, I was telling everyone else. Yes, I know. Cake talk coffee. Uh, also, although this is technically not unfound information, uh, June 1st is when my teachable course will be coming out. How to podcast better than anyone. It's almost five hours of in-depth material on starting your own podcast. And at the end of each chapter, I tell some of my, I talk about some of my own experiences starting, starting Unfound. Uh, a couple of them are funny stories, some of them not so funny stories, a lot of the mistakes that I personally made, and I think why I made them, and I'm really talking, of course, from the heart. Uh, but that is coming out June 1st, How to Podcast Better Than Anyone, I hope. Uh, of course, I realize most people don't aspire to be podcasters, but if you are, if you're thinking about it, or you know somebody who has talked about starting a podcast, it doesn't have anything to do with true crime. It could be sports, politics, video games, Shakespeare, whatever. This podcast course is geared to anybody looking to start any kind of podcast. And it will be at teachable.com. How to podcast better than anyone dot teachable.com very excited about it and i realized that there are a couple other courses out there and i and dare i say one of them is very expensive um here's the difference between of course between mine and theirs those people who do those courses are not full-time podcasters they may be involved in podcasting in one way or the other but none of those people have a podcast that is a weekly podcast. In addition, the people who are doing those do not do all of their own stuff like I do. I, of course, have assistants who help me in a lot of different ways. But when it comes to actually doing the podcast, it's all me. The recording, the editing, the writing, the marketing, and everything else, it's just me. And that's not something that anybody else can offer and any other class, teachable course, YouTube course, anything else. I'm a, you know, in, in addition to the fact that it's not that I do this, it's that Unfound is a very popular podcast in the top 3% of all podcasts in the world, over a million downloads a year. And the work, of course, that I do speaks for itself. It's not that I'm just a, po a podcaster, but my work has had an impact on disappearances out there as all of you know. So I think I know what I'm talking about as an everyday professional podcaster. And that is one of the big difference between 
the course here and what you'll get somewhere else. Who are people who might have been podcasters at one time and aren't anymore, or maybe they were a podcaster and it was a bunch of different people doing different things and everything. You're getting it right from a person who does it every day, thinks about it all the time, and has been doing it for a while and is responsible for everything and is an actual podcaster, you know, recording every day. So please, please check it out when it comes out. D says, yeah, but you hang on in the streets. I hang out on the alleyways. Well, uh, I'm glad, you know, don't be so sure, D. Don't be so sure. Moving on, uh, of course, we're getting near the end of the month. Not only will there be a new found episode coming out, but a new unfound now. So I'll have to be taking a look at recent disappearances this week in preparation for uh, doing an episode of that that will eventually be public for everybody. But for the unfound nows, um, of course, they go to the Patreon and YouTube people first. Also, another piece of unfound um, news, the new license plate, my personal license plate, unfound. I meant to have it here to show all of you, but I put it on my car. So it's down on my car, but it looks fantastic. They did not have to. I I posted a picture of it um, in the discussion group on Facebook, I think on the page as well. Maybe I should put it on Instagram and everywhere. But it all came out as one word. They did not like cut it in the middle or anything. It's all one word right there on the license plate. And it looks fantastic. So uh, the personalized unfound license plate is now on my 100,000 mile Hyundai Sonata. So there you go. It's been, it's been about... It's been over 30 years since I had a personalized license plate. When I uh, when I was in college, I had a Mustang GT that had a personal license plate. And I'm not going to tell you what it was, what it said. But I had a personal license plate on my Mustang GT in college, so over 30 years ago. And I ended up giving that personalized license plate away to somebody. And what I did was I just went back to having regular license plates. But I had that personalized license plate probably for a year or something like that. And I gave it away. And then I ended up just getting uh, uh, a regular one for some reason. I don't know why I didn't get another different personalized license plate. I can't remember why. But, but so it's been over 30 years since I had a personalized license plate. And what do you know? What is old is new. Again, uh, he says, I hang out with a queen bee. Well, do you now? Okay. Uh, one more thing before I get to the final uh, news item that I want to discuss before we're done. You should know, and I can't say everything that she wrote uh, in the email, but I want you to know that Bowman's mother sent me an email this morning. And uh, I will read just a part of it. And... Uh, You know, this is one of those things where as a podcaster, as a person who takes his business very seriously, um, you know, these are the kind of emails that, of course, you really like to get. 
and it, and it it's obvious to me that the, that people get the way I do things, even though as I know myself, the way I run Unfound is much different than the way other people run their podcasts, especially true crime podcasts. Certainly, 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 certainly. And there was a, a situation that happened recently where I was talking to somebody and uh, for some reason they became very critical with me during the conversation. I would interpret it as they hung up on me. Technically it wasn't that, but if you were to listen to what happened, that's, you know, you could define it as hanging up. This person was very critical of how I treated her and everything, which I thought was total crap. It was a disappearance that I really wanted to cover. Of course, that won't be happening now, but this happens once in a while. But then I get a comment like this from Bowman's mother, and it just uh, reminds me of uh, why I do what I do and the way that I do what I do. Here's what she said. Now, like I said, there was uh, something to share before, and I'm just not going to get into that. It had something to do with, if there's any new information and I have permission to say it, I will do it. All right, but can't say it. But here is the second half of this email. I would like to say thank you once again for the simply wonderful, respectful, and balanced job you did on the piece with Bo. True, honest-to-goodness, real, in capital letters, journalism, and not sensationalism as most other podcasters do. Kudos for you, uh, for, kudos for you being above caliber. I cannot thank you enough. That I uh, got that this morning from Bowman's mother, Amy, who, of course, was the guest a couple months ago when she came on to talk about Bo's disappearance. And as I think all of you now know, his remains were found not too far from Berkeley Street in Santa Monica, California. They were found on April 25th, um, you know, just not like a month ago. And then within the last two weeks, they were positively identified as being Bo. Still a lot of questions out there. As to what exactly happened. Was it foul play? Was it an overdose? Did somebody attack him? Whatever, you know, whatever. And there's, I should tell you, even though I can't read the entire email, there's nothing in this email that has anything to do with that. Um, but, you know, like I said, this is the kind of email, the kind of message, of course, that you love to get. And, you know, and, and it should be known, Amy and I clicked from day one. You should know that. No, you know, was, um, you know, some, you know, we, I have guests on Unfound and I get along with them, you know, but sometimes there are, you know, personalities sometimes clash and everything. I, I, I'm not saying they aren't thankful. They know that I'm going to, you know, great job and trying to help them and everything. But sometimes there are a little bit of personality clashes and things. But we, of course, work those things out. But I, I, it should be known. Amy and I got along, you know, from day one. Just 
And I think probably is because Bo's disappearance, even before Unfound covered it, you know, it got a lot of coverage. And Amy had talked to a lot of people. And, you know, so it, it's one of those things that she's used to dealing with a lot of different types of people. And then she comes across me. And as you can see, this is, you know, this was, um, you know, her, you know, her experience and, and saying, you know, how, um, you know, I went about this the right way. And I try to do that every time I try to do that. And so when I am just being the same person every time, it's always weird to me, like what happened in this other situation where this person, you know, just totally rejected you know, what I was saying and how I was responding and everything. It was just a weird situation. And I will admit, sometimes it does cause me to question, you know, what exactly happened? Did I really do something that was wrong or or whatever? But I'm telling you, I treat every guest the same way. And you should know, um, I can't give it away right now, but there is a disappearance that we're going to be covering in a couple weeks. The interview hasn't been done yet. But this person also has had a lot of um, uh, interacting with the media over the years. And she said essentially the same thing. Even though she hasn't even been interviewed yet, she essentially all, already said the same thing that Amy said in this email. You know, dealing with all these uh, different types, but you just go about it the right way. You know, you're a person who just doesn't want to record and go right to the podcast. You want to build rapport. You're getting to know me. You're asking questions. You're not rushing anything. You know, nothing's on the record. We're just two people talking and you want to try to make sure you understand everything. And this has been the opposite of the way this other person's experiences have been. And she goes, I like the way you're going about this. Thank you. So it's just really is uplifting. And Amy, if you get to watch this video or hear about this, uh, thank you. And of course, anything uh, that I continue can do to help, uh, you know, now figure out what actually happened to Bo now that he's been found, you let me know. <coughs> Shree says, that's so sweet, especially uh, when you know the whole story means so much. Yeah, Jennifer. Hey, hello, hello Jennifer and Chime. Hi, hope all is going well for what's going on. And Rockford says, hey, love that message. Perhaps she was taking a bit of a jab at certain other podcasts, which led a bit of sensationalism in the door. I'm hopeful that the crime scene and autopsy provide answers. Uh, Rockford, you know, we've talked enough uh, just emails back and forth. You know that, you know, my attitudes, you know, uh, my attitude, of course, is there's a ton of sensationalism, too much of it that goes on in true crime. I understand sensationalism in sports video games and getting hyped up and doing all that stuff. That stuff has no business being in what we do here. None. Zero. You know, I just wish that the public was a little more picky about this and had a, a little higher standard regarding it. it. You know, the problem is some of these places that do this still get a lot of viewers and listeners, and that's not reflected to the hosts. That's on the public. That's on the audience. That's not on the hosts. Our pal Detective Maid said much the same thing in one of his recent videos. I agree with you both. I've not seen that. Thank you, Rockford. All right. Speaking of sensationalism, thank you, Rockford. 
uh, for bringing that up. I want to talk about one thing, and maybe you've seen this. There is a nonprofit group called the Case Breakers. A volunteer group that investigates unsolved cases believe they have identified the notorious Zodiac killer and slammed the FBI, claiming the Bureau didn't do enough to investigate the apparent lead. Case Breakers, a nonprofit run by investigative journalist Thomas Colbert, claims to have connected Air Force veteran Gary Francis Post to the murders and said an FBI agent confirmed to them that he has been considered a suspect since 2016. The felon has secretly been listed as a Zodiac suspect in headquarters computers since 2016. The team said the FBI has a partial DNA sample of posts in its database, but has failed to utilize the sample in its investigation the serial killer responsible for five confirmed murders in Northern California. That's all I really want to say about that. Um, I've heard about case breakers before. Um... Here's what I think I know about case breakers. Having gone to their website, looked at most of the pages on their website and everything else. Here's what I think I know about the case breakers. They're much better at making headlines than solving anything. That's what I know. They haven't broken anything. They do a lot of talking. And the most disgusting thing is, you know, this isn't a bunch of 20-year-olds. The people who are mostly in this nonprofit group or whatever you want to call them are older than I am, and I'm 52. But it's obvious to me they're no better than what Rockford and I were just talking about regarding sensationalism and everything else. You know how I know You know what I think I know about them? If you go to their website, all you see is stuff posted about well-known disappearances. They're not interested in the common man or common woman or common transgendered person or anyone else. They're all about getting attention because they're dedicating their time allegedly to things like D.B. Cooper, the Zodiac Killer. What else was on their site? Um, Jimmy Hoffa. That is all you should need to know. They are not serious about solving regular person disappearances or regular persons being murdered. That is every, as soon as you hear that you should run a thousand miles in the opposite direction. It is disgusting. It is disgusting. And when you look at the list of people in this group, what do you see? Retired, 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 all people who are allegedly in law enforcement, retired, 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 retired. And it seems all they want to do is concentrate on these big things, you know, these things that are already well-known. Why? Because they love the attention. It is disgusting. But there are many groups like this out there. So many people in groups that seem legitimate, but who are not. Now, you know, I can even say, you know, all of you, that I have a problem with David Polites. I think he's a kook. All right, with us stuff about the National Forest and everything else. But here is something I will give, give David... Uh, Polites credit for. He doesn't mind talking about the murder and disappearances of regular people. He will do that. He is not concentrating, concentrating just on famous people disappearing or anything like that. If it comes within his purview, he doesn't care when it happened. He doesn't care, may care where it happened. 
but he doesn't care who it was or anything else. He's willing to talk about the John Smiths and Jane Doe's uh, who have gone missing or been murdered and unsolved murders. He doesn't care. And that's credit to him. Even though I have a lot of criticism for him, I can say that about him. And that's a good thing. Whereas these people, they're publicity hounds. The most dangerous place for these people in the world is between them and a microphone or a camera. They haven't broken any cases. So um, I just wanted to tell you about that. And the thing is, this is kind of – this story just came out, but this – it pumps up every couple uh, months or something. They just – the reason this happens is because they need the publicity. It's not because anything is going on with the Zodiac Killer. There's nothing going on with it. But they know how to get attention by claiming that they're doing things. They're not doing things. The D.B. Cooper, as much as they say they're working on it, it's not solved. Despite them saying, oh, we know what happened. They don't know what happened. It's disgusting. So, Rockford, going back to your thing of uh, sensationalism, this is certainly sensationalism. Crowd, becoming a big fan of criminal profiler Pat Brown. Uh, Crank, really, you know, um, she mentioned Unfound on a recent episode, and I thank her for that. And then Shereen Rockford talking baseball. Okay. So don't ever go to the Case Breakers website. Uh, You just let me do that, and I'll tell you about it. All right. This Friday, we're going back to San Francisco uh, again, and we are going to be covering, of course, we know that there's this phenomenon out there, the way it's been reported there, of the San Francisco Five, those being disappearances that have already been covered by Unfound, Cameron Remmer and Jackson Miller. There are three other young men who are considered to be in this group, and they are Sean Seedy, Christian Hughes, and the this, this young man who will be featured on Unfound this Friday, and that is Sean Dickerson. I interviewed his parents, uh, actually his biological mother, Trisha, and his stepfather, Philip. Philip did raise uh, Sean because uh, actually Sean's biological father got killed in a motorcycle accident years and years ago. But Sean Dickerson, he was in San Francisco, California, December 2nd, uh, the woman that he's living with, maybe his girlfriend, her name is Angelie, believed that he was heading to his job, but little did everybody know that he'd actually technically kind of quit his job. And he was never seen again. However, for that day, it seems that he was walking around San Francisco taking pictures and posting them online. But he went missing on December 2nd. The issue, though, is there have been a lot of sightings of him since. So that is this Friday's disappearance. Uh, I hope to eventually get uh, to all five of these disappearances, uh, including Sean CDs and Christian Hughes. But uh, finally getting uh, Trisha and Philip on. I've been talking to Trisha for quite a long time. They did a great interview together. It's a long, going to be a long episode, a lot to talk about. But that is this Friday. Sean Dickerson went missing from San Francisco, California, December 2nd, 2011, and his parents, Trisha and Philip, are the guests. I've been really, uh, been, 
really looking forward to talking to them and interviewing them because I've known Trisha. I've been talking to her for a few years now. And to finally be able to do that interview, very fulfilling to me. And I think the episode is going to be fantastic um, because they did a really good job. So that will be this Friday. All right, I've run over by a couple minutes. That's all I have uh, for tonight. A fantastic show, of course. I'd like to remind you of one more thing. Please go to the merchandise store, the new unfound merchandise store uh, that you can find at Spreadshop.com. Just do a Spreadshop, do a search for unfound. You will find it there. Got some cool stuff there. Uh, Please support the show, the podcast, this live show by buying some unfound merchandise there. But that's all I got. Thank you so much for watching. Please give it a thumbs up before you leave tonight on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop. And you will hear and see me, if you'd like, this Friday for the disappearance of Sean Dickerson. Good night, everyone.